0: What's happening, night fans? Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And uh, wow, we're still recovering from Game 7 of the World Series. (laughs) We're recording this on Thursday, November the 3rd. Uh, And uh, our first November show, Eric, we've made it to the last two months of the calendar year without getting any hate mail. So we're happy about that. Uh what a busy week it is for UCF sports. Lots going on, lots that's already happened that we've talked about. And we got plenty on tap. So once again, you can follow us at UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff Underscore Sharon. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. And don't forget to follow the Banneret at, of course, blackandgoldbanneret.com and also look us up on Facebook. You can subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on iTunes as well as Google Play and SoundCloud, where, Eric, the numbers are going crazy, aren't they?
1: It's the best place. We love our home. It's comfortable, easy to access at any time, not only the most recent podcast, but any podcast from the past you missed, all the bonus stuff. Like, for example, this week you did a podcast breaking down the women's soccer picture for UCF soccer. So it's just a lot of great stuff.
0: So, yeah, we've got that to break down. Women's soccer coming up short in the first round of the American Athletic Conference Tournament against uh, SMU. That does not bode well for their NCAA chances. We'll take a look, quick look back at the um, Houston football game, which was, uh, well, le- a less than desirable outcome, to say the least. Look ahead a little bit to Tulane. And, uh, by the way, media day today for uh, men's and women's basketball, so we'll riff on that for a little bit, Lopez. But first, let's start off by... Following up on what we talked about, uh, if you haven't heard it already, we had Chris Henderson on uh, a special edition podcast earlier this week uh, from Heroesports.com. They're NCAA Division One soccer writer, and he pretty much said outright that you know UCF's hopes to get into the NCAA tournament rest entirely on their performance in the conference tournament um, this week up in stores. Um, he said pretty much they they would have to win it in order to boost their RPI enough. In order to get in, at that point you may as well just, you know, wh- you know, win the tournament outright in order to make it a sure thing. But um, that didn't happen. The Knights lose in uh, PKs to SMU. It was tied at one, went into overtime, then went into PKs. Carol Rodriguez had the last uh, regulation goal of the season for UCF, the senior in her final game. But uh, the Knights uh, miss on three straight PKs. Um, to end their season in stores, bowing out in the first round. Real bummer, it doesn't look like UCF is going to be in the NCAA uh, field of 64 this year um, based on just the fact that they just couldn't come up with the big wins than they needed to, Eric.
1: Yeah, kind of a tough way, losing penalty kicks to a very good SMU team, losing double overtime to a good Memphis team. They lost that Florida earlier this year in the last minute. I think that's going to be... You know, those three games right there. If you win maybe one, two of those, maybe we're having a different conversation today. But unfortunately, you know, I'm going to defer to Chris Henderson, who covers this on a daily basis. And you had him on. It's a really great podcast. He breaks down all the issues as far as, well, the scenarios UCF would need it. Uh, I do think they're going to be on the outside. I feel like the American Conference will be a two-bed league. Probably Connecticut. Well, more, no doubt about Connecticut. And then probably the winner of the Memphis uh, SMU. One of those two will probably get in. But, uh, you know, certainly it's something that the group will have to kind of uh, regroup and uh, try to improve on some areas uh, going into next season if it doesn't work out for them on the uh, selection Monday.
0: So the Knights finished at 9-9-1 and on the season. And, you know, had some good moments. Had the win at Oklahoma State. Uh, scored a lot of goals early in the season in the early going but uh one goal loss at florida that was tough one goal loss against south carolina at home uh lost by two goals each at north carolina and duke to start the season and uh you know just could never could never seem to get their feet underneath them in conference play and uh and they come up short but you know, congratulations to all the seniors carol rodriguez you know once again who's uh in the top rankings for ucf in terms of goal scoring all time And uh, we're going to miss some of those seniors. But Coach Sehadak, if there's one thing we know about Tiffany Roberts, Sahadak's teams uh, here at UCF, they don't rebuild, they reload. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, football coming off of a, well, let's face it. Let's call it what it is. That was a rough second half against Houston in a very turnover-prone, sloppy football game. UCF ends up blowing a 24-7 lead and falls to Houston. Granted, in Houston, but still, that doesn't make it hurt any less. Uh, 31-24 to the final. Um, this is now two games uh, out of the last three that UCF has blown leads of 17 points or more. If you go back to the Temple game where they were up 25-7 to and lost that game by one point with one second to go. Uh, this game at Houston, boy, it looked really good uh, in the third quarter when UCF was up after a 41-yard field goal by Matthew Wright. They were up 24-3. to They got two quick touchdowns late in the second quarter, one by Travius Wilson capping off an 11-play drive and one a 28-yard run by Juwan Hamilton. But then Houston just chipped away in the third and in the fourth withstood what seemed like an onslaught of turnovers and sloppy play and Greg, Ye- Greg Ward's 14-yard touchdown run with seven and a half minutes to go in the fourth proved to be the uh, deciding margin. Here's Coach Frost in the wake of that uh, Houston game. Got it, caught a lot of breaks in the first half and uh, made some plays. Um, didn't play very well in the second half. We, we kind of made the same mistakes that they had made in the first half and gave some opportunities right back to them and, and really uh, kind of got outplayed in the second half. Um, just uh, need to find a, a way when, you, when we get ahead to get those those games finished off. But I give a lot of credit to Houston. Eric, I asked you this question uh, after the Temple game, and uh, you said no. So I'll ask it to you again after this game. Was this a disaster?
1: No, I don't think so. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I think... It's funny how we like to look at things through our own perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So I I think the majority of the fan base was, wow, what a debacle, what a disaster, the second half and what went wrong. But yet I would argue that basically what happened in the second half is Houston did to UCF what UCF did to Houston in the first half, which was Houston self-destructed in the first half. UCF forced some turnovers, took advantage of it. It was the exact same game. It was two different halves, but it was the same story. First half, UCF forced a bunch of turnovers, made big plays on defense, converted into points, and jumped into the big lead. Second half, Houston took advantage of the UCF turnovers and got back in the game and it pulled away and it had more depth, so... Uh, you know, I, I, I don't look at it as, wow, this team's self-destructed. Look, Houston's a talented football team. This was a team that was as a top 10 team, a team that's going to have future NFL players on that roster. And I think UCF was took, was fortunate in that they got some turnovers. They got Greg Ward to throw a couple of picks. UCF was able to take advantage and they took the lead. The turning point was. When UCF had a chance, it was 21 to three, and they had a chance to really put the maybe put the 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 hammer on this game. They couldn't put that last touchdown to put it away. They settled for that field goal to make it 24 to three. And uh, you because you knew Houston was going to come ready to play in the second half. They did. They got a score. They got a turnover. Next thing you know, Houston's back in the game. And I thought Houston made some nice adjustments. They came and blitzed at McKenzie Milton, uh, and and mixed up their uh, blitzes. And I think UCF had trouble picking that up. And then on the other side of the ball, I think Greg Ward became more aggressive with his legs and that created problems. Whereas in the first half, he was apprehensive yeah. and settled to be in the pocket. So, uh, I, I don't, I think the two, the temple game is much worse. Look, Houston's a better team on paper. And that game is on uh, the road game's too. Game's on the road. And, and I don't, I think Houston just has more depth and more material right now than UCF. Uh, so I I don't you know it's funny like fans are what they are. I'm I'm pretty convinced, Jeff. When they're when te- fans teams lose, right? It's always the coach's fault, right? Like when was the last time that a team when their the team's lost that hey you know maybe you know that other team was just better than us you know they great job by them it wasn't you know it always has to seem like to blame somebody. I told somebody a friend of mine like it seemed like during the O'Leary era, right? Every game was his fault, like when they lost, but when they won, you know the players were great. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like we're, you know, that's how fans are and and I understand that, but you got to look at it from a big picture and, and just watching that game, I never there wasn't anything that jumped out to me that said, wow, you know, I would have done this differently. There was no Joe Madden moments to go back to the World Series reference you had <laughs> earlier. There wasn't a Joe Madden ref moment where you're like, what is he doing? I, I that never happened with Scott Frost and the coaching staff. I think the UCF defense was fantastic and they can, and, and let's talk about them. Uh to me what that group has done and what coach Chenner has done yeah. Uh, yeah. this season has been remarkable uh and they they keep forcing turnovers they make big plays and unfortunately they keep you know they get put in a bad spot in the second half when the offense can't move the ball well guess what the defense is going to be on the field a lot that's the price you pay for running that type of offensive scheme when you're going fast yeah. so um but I, I don't think this was a meltdown. I don't think this was something to be alarmed. I, I understand people are concerned about it, but I feel like this one—you just—you just, yeah, just got to tip your cap to the other mater- the other team, as uh as the late Bino Cook on ESPN used to say. You know that other team has uh, material too, has scholarships. You know, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> right. I, I'll say this too about um you know what we were able to do in that game. I thought that the standout uh statistic was third down conversions. Uh, Houston converted eleven of twenty, which is pretty good, and they especially converted a lot of third downs. I thought in the second half, Knights two of fourteen on third down, and in the second half they just could not get a third down to save their own lives, and they kept giving the ball back to Houston, and that's what really caused the breakdown. And to me, it it seemed a lot like, boy, did Mackenzie Milton look like a freshman in this game. Um, the inexperience I thought on the field was quite obvious. A more senior-laden team doesn't blow this kind of a lead, and this is just part of the growing pains we're going to have to deal with throughout the remainder of this year. All that being said, though, if you told me at the start of the year that UCF would be four and four, two and two in the league, with three of their last four at home, I would I would be doing backflips, man. I'd be like, we're going to a bowl, baby. <laughs> I, well, I, I think that's the, right, yeah, right. It's so, I mean, that's it's so the hard part. for us to, to lose. It's so easy for us to lose perspective on it because of the ways that UCF has lost these games. The Maryland game was in overtime. Uh, you lose with one second on the clock against Temple at home. You blow a 17-point lead at Houston. And it's easy to say, well, if only we'd done, you know, you know if, 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 if we would be, what, we would be adding three, That we would be seven and one if all those dominoes yeah, fall, so, fell into place. I don't would have put up, okay, so. Like, I but mean, I don't even think that's really fair because, you know, you're, you're assuming that uh, a number of things go your way when actually I thought in these games a lot of things did go your way that maybe they probably shouldn't have.
1: Well, and let me put it to this way: I mean, fans could look at it that way. Whereas is any UCF fan looking at 2013 and saying, "You know, we really shouldn't have been 12-11 and one"? You know, did any UCF fans boy say after you know in the Louisville game, "Wow, Louisville really blew that game"? Boy, I tell you, no. Well, Everybody's I at what? Some, I got some comeback.
0: UCF fans who would be
1: like, "Well, you know, we should have won that South Carolina game." I'm like, right? No, exactly. It's always the half- always second guesses this. All right. But like, look at 2013. They came from behind against Louisville. No fan looked at it as, "Wow, Louisville blew that game." It's funny how when you blow the lead, it's not your fault. But when you make the comeback, you know, oh, what a great job you did. Right. I mean, which you know, it's it's things even out that way. I, so I don't get caught up. Yeah, you're a couple of plays here and there. You could have been six and two, seven and one, but uh, you're not. And and you know, there's all things always seem to even out when those type of things. So I, I don't. I think it's. to 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 kind of look at it that way there's bigger pictures and then this team is growing that's the main thing and they got to learn you're right about McKenzie Milton I think the issue with McKenzie he's a true freshman who right now to me just doesn't have that pocket presence And he's getting
0: beat up the offensive line is not doing him any favors right now
1: no but he's not helping them either because he takes some sacks that really aren't necessary you know he kind of rolls around he tries to do like the Johnny Manziel where he's moving around and and then takes like a 10, 15 yard sack. I mean, sometimes you just got to throw the ball away and get you know live to play another day. So, yeah, uh, uh, you know, but that's you know young kids. You know, I mean that's freshmen for you. You're gonna go through the ups and downs when you're playing a freshman. Uh, I don't care who you are, especially a true freshman. So, uh, look, I think the focus should be now. You're four and four, and you've got like you said, you don't leave the state of Florida the rest of the year. And I think the next two weeks is critical. Because I think the next two to get to the bowl game, I think the next two weeks must be a must-win, starting with this Tulane game, uh, this Saturday 5 o'clock game against a Tulane team that I think UCF matches up very well with, uh, Jeff. He, they're talking about a team that kind of runs the triple option. They don't like to throw the football much. They try to run the ball. UCF's been very good against the run most of the year. I think this is – I don't expect any letdowns or emotional downs. I think UCF will be ready to play, and I wouldn't be surprised – if they get off to a fast start and jump on Tulane, but this time really put them away.
0: Great segue. Now, remember, this is the game that was supposed to be played at home on Friday, October the 7th, uh, and was moved back because of uh, Hurricane Matthew. So instead of it being two straight home games in the middle of October, Tulane and Temple, the Knights have three consecutive home games prior to the war on I-4, which is at USF. So this is the first of that three-game home stretch, Tulane, Cincinnati, and Tulsa. Let's hear from head coach Scott Frost uh, talking about Tulane coming up. Tulane's made a lot of improvements since we watched them when this game was postponed the first time. Uh, I think they're playing really well on defense, uh, doing some really good things on offense, especially rushing the football. Uh, and look forward to a big challenge. First of all, it's a bummer that we are not... That you know, we're not going to be able to see. Um, you know, this, this game would have been on national television, uh, but it's not because of what happened. Well, I mean, storm. it
1: was going to be on. It, it was going to be on ESPN. Um, yeah, but you know, but, prime
0: yeah. time Friday night. You know, in, instead, this game is scheduled to be on ESPN three at five p.m. on Saturday.
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's the breaks. I mean that's you know it is what it is. I mean a little bit you know a little bit of a bummer in terms of exposure,
0: but you know nonetheless, at Tulane not very good at least right now. But um, win this game and beat Cincinnati, and bang, you're bowl eligible after going 0 and 12. And then you got also it's going to be tough. And then at USF, and USF's obviously very good this year. But um, but that's a good position to be in, don't you think?
1: Yeah, you'd be rather have those at home, and I agree. I think you look at this way the schedule is. Tulane right now has yet to record a conference win. They're the last place in the West, and then Cincinnati they've been a a, they have just had a mess uh, this year. I mean Tommy Tuberville and their team they're not very good. They've gone through quarterbacks. I think to me, if you can win those two games, you're six and four because then. You're facing Tulsa and USF, which could end up being the American Conference Championship game. That could be the two best teams in the league if you don't count, you know, if you discount Houston. So, um, I would rather go in six and four, not having to worry about, geez, you're gonna have to pull an upset to get Bo eligible. Uh, If you, that's what you got to do. You got to take care of business at home, and I think that's something this team has to do. I mean, we could talk about the blown leads. I think the bigger issue is you've lost two games at home, you know. So you want to build. Uh, some confidence that you can win at home. And I think that's something that this group needs to build going into next season.
0: So Tulane comes in at three and five, like we mentioned, Oh, and four in the league. Uh, and a quick look at the American standings. They are dead last in the West. They're the only winless team in uh, the American West. Uh, Navy, by the way, still atop that division at four and one Tulsa at three and one. So they, uh, so Navy has one game in hand on that, by the way. But as we look at uh this game you know you might think okay well you know Tulane not that very good but what how does this bode for us set Vegas has us as a 17 point favorite in this game over unders at 50 uh this is as of Thursday night uh Tulane they do put points up on the board 28.4 a game but they give up a lot of points and uh in terms of 27.6 uh which is three which is a field goal more allowed per game than UCF at least at this point uh, and they uh, are, their their mo is the run. They're averaging 248 uh, rushing yards per game, just 107.6 passing. And uh, that it, you know when you come to Tulane, you're gonna have you're gonna have to deal with their running attack. They've, they're coming off of three uh, consecutive losses to SMU at Tulsa and to Memphis. Um, and last time I, I found if my memory serves me right, last time they came to UCF. Um, we beat them but in a game that was a little bit uh, disappointing. I remember O'Leary saying that uh UCF played very uninspired football uh in a game where UCF beat Tulane but it was very sloppy. Nick Montana, Joe Montana's son, actually was a yep. quarterback in that game. He's gone. But that was twenty
1: fourteen. Um, yeah, twenty fourteen. Uh, so and we really don't and we don't want to bring up that last year's game in Tulane. Yeah, that was, was a, like, a,
0: that was a disaster. But um but UCF right now, at least in terms of ESPN's Power Football Index, is an eighty uh, percent likely favorite to win this game and get back above five hundred. So, um, you know, it, it, what? Let me ask you this, and this will be my real only question for you about this game: What could go wrong? How could this go wrong?
1: Turnovers. I mean, that's been the, the offense turned the ball over gives the defense uh, short fields, Tulane takes advantage, grabs the lead, then that forces them, they can try to run the football. If UCF doesn't move the football, uh, goes three and out, and and the defense is on the field for a while, then Tulane might be able to wear them down down the stretch. So uh, I think if you're Tulane, the goal is to make this a four-quarter game. If you're UCF, you want to get off to a good start and get off to a big lead and force Mm -hmm. Tulane to throw the football. That's going to be the thing. But the thing I like, again, UCF has been very good for the most part against the run this year. Uh, and I think that third defense will be geared up for this. And I, I expect the offense to bounce back after the second half. And I think they'll be ready to play. And I think UCF, this is the, of all the games, this is the most confident I am of any game. I feel very confident. I will be shocked uh, if we're talking next week about anything other than a UCF comfortable win.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that one. Um I do think, though, that one of the key differences for UCF in this game is going to have to be the fact that Tulane, when they're going to try and play keep away. They're going to try and uh, hang on to the ball with the rush, and you've got to be able to answer when they come back. If they rip off a 10-play, 80-yard drive that rips five minutes off the clock, then you've got to come back and you've got to score right back quick on them again. And just so keep, it's a contrast and, of, yeah, It's a contrast of coming. styles. Yeah,
1: It's a contrast from a tempo standpoint. Uh, you know, Tulane's going to want to milk the clock, shorten the game. UCF wants to go up-tempo, have many possessions. Both teams want to run the football and establish the run. That's what's fascinating mm-hmm. about it. But yet they want to do it in different tempo, which yeah. is very interesting. I love, And
0: by the way, I love that contrasting styles, which, you know, by the way, if you're watching that game, it could make for an interesting matchup, but it also could make things pretty hairy down the line, you know, these games between – like you said, sure. contrasting teams.
1: No question about it. So if you like running the football, this is your game. And uh, it'll, it'll come down to which team can put in their style and in, in, in really put that will into the opponent. Is this a game that under Tulane's terms where they kind of control the clock and are on the field the entire game? Or is this a game where UCF is just gashing them for big yardage and jump out to big lead and force Tulane – to throw the football to get back in the game. I think that's that's going to be the story on Saturday night.
0: So this game kicks off 5 p.m. on Saturday night, UCF and Tulane at Bright House Network Stadium. You can watch the game on ESPN3 or watch right. ESPN. By the way, Cincinnati game, uh, that time has been posted for November, the 12th noon kick for that one at the Bright House. Uh, no TV network announced just yet for that one, so we'll have to wait on that. But uh, that's UCF and Tulane for you coming up. Uh, I do expect UCF to win. Do you think they cover? Yes. Okay. I think they should cover, too. Uh, might, they may not cover by a lot, but I still think they'll cover. And, oh, by the way, UCF busting out all black on Saturday. Armored in black day. The uh, UCF equipment, UCF underscore equipment on Twitter, released the uniforms, black jersey, black pants, black socks. And I had, I've never seen this before. Black helmet with a gold outlined nitro on the side. I think this looks sharp, man. I love I I love the fact that we've made this a thing with us that we're turning trying to turn ourselves into the East Coast Oregon. I just think this is this is fantastic.
1: As long as we're having better results than the Oregon team is having this year, I I'm fine
0: with it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I'm hopeful that we will and, you know, like I said, it should be fun. Evening game dressed in black. Should be fun. Glad they're doing that in the evening, obviously, because because you can't dress in all black in Florida for a noon kick. That's impossible. So, all right, stick around. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll recap a few. Uh, we'll recap volleyball, who uh, took care of business in the war on I four. Stick around. The black and gold banneret podcast is back after this.
1: Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew figley This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast.
0: You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com.
1: Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. We wrapped up the uh, football preview too late. Hey, before we get to volleyball, I just wanted to point out, obviously, um, recording this at night, I'm about to pass out, to be honest with you, because I'm working on about four hours sleep, just as you are, after watching Game 7 of the World Series, Eric, and some UCF connections in the World Series. First of all, obviously, a former UCF player, uh, Cody Allen, uh, the closer for the Cleveland Indians, um, who pitched very well in the World Series um, for the Indians as their closer. I'm actually trying to pull up his information right now. But Cody, Boone High School graduate, uh, played uh, played briefly for UCF. Um, you know, he played quarterback, too, at Boone, I remember. And uh, I actually did play-by-play for one of his games, I remember, wow. as a senior in uh, in high school, yeah, and as a senior in college, he was a senior in high school, I believe, and uh, or no, he may. I think he was younger. I think he was a freshman in high school at the time at Boone, uh, but watched him beat uh, Edgewater in one particular game. Uh, had a pretty good year this year for the uh, Indians. Thirty two saves at thirty four uh, last year. Pitched very well in the World Series. Pitched in Game Seven. Um, one other note that actually was shared by Ben Lively, the uh, former UCF pitcher who's now in the philadelphia phillies organization uh ben tweeted out a interesting little box score he said so i guess this happened freshman year and he tweeted out a a a box score from march 5th 2011 ucf playing dartmouth lively defeated cubs starter for game seven kyle hendricks who was at dartmouth at the time Uh, eight to nothing was the final in that game ucf played dartmouth in a very early season series uh, Lively went uh, in that uh, March 5th, 2011 game, went uh, six innings, gave up four hits, no runs, uh, walked three, struck out three. Hendricks took the loss pitching five innings, gave up six hits, two runs, walked three, and struck out only two. And, uh, but, you know, nonetheless, ben, uh, I, I thought that Hendricks pitched really well for the Cubs. I'm surprised Joe Madden took him out as early as he did in Game 7. But, uh, boy, has he come a long way from losing that start. Uh, at UCF and then you mentioned one other UCF connection in game seven of the World Series right
1: yeah Jake Arrieta now Jake Arrieta of course who started the game six for the Cubs pitched at TCU and actually pitched against UCF at UCF during his TCU day so um, that's the cool thing about it you go out to UCF baseball you never know you're going to see some big leaguers future big leaguers play against UCF and we saw a couple guys Jake Arrieta uh, you get to see Kyle Hendricks. The funny story about Hendricks, that night I was actually calling UCF softball. That was the night UCF uh, Renee Lors-Gillespie won her 600th game in her career. Right. They big fan you. Coach Gillespie is a diehard Cubs fan, just like Scott Frost is, by the way. So <laughs> it's kind of eerie that. And I texted her about it, uh, you know, the fact, hey, you just want, you know, the night you won your 600th game, the future Cubs game seven starter was pitching right across the street over at baseball. So, uh, it's kind of wild how that stuff kind of works sometimes. You know, and we've had, like I said, other big leaguers now. Uh, you, you had, of course, Todd Frazier, who's an all star with the, the Reds and the White Sox. He played against UCF. In fact, I called that game when he was at the University of Rutgers, mm-hmm. a place like that. So. You know, and and we're not even talking about guys that played at Miami and Florida and Florida State that went on to the big leagues. But uh, it's great tradition. Uh interesting note, by the way, baseball note. Corey Kluber, who started game seven, pitched at Stetson uh yeah. and 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 who played UCF in those years as well. He never he didn't start against them because they played midweeks and he was a weekend starter at Stetson, uh although there was a time there uh it was him that that played against UCF, and then you also had the young kid that just won Rookie of the Year for the Mets, Jacob DeGrom, who was the NL Rookie of the Year, actually played shortstop and was a position player and actually did play against UCF as well when he was with Stetson. And I bring all this up because some big news came out this week. Uh, Greg Lovelady, the new UCF head baseball coach, played at Miami uh was on the uh UCF Night Talk edition on the radio show airs week the uh, week night uh every week I should say Wednesday nights on 969 the game and he was on with Mark Daniels and among the things he met talked about was the schedule and that Stetson is back on the schedule to playing UCF in baseball. They haven't played since twenty twelve. In fact you would know because you were at that last game they played in the land, when it went extra innings, yeah, uh, and had some brouhaha, some controversy too. If you're uh, uh, between the two teams, there was some uh, an incident that took place. I think at home plate, right, with a hard collision, and both teams are kind of yelling at each other. So they haven't played since 2012, uh, and now Greg annou- Lovelady Love Lady has announced that they will play this year. I think Stetson's coming to UCF was kind of what he alluded to in the interview with Mark Daniels. And, of course, this will be Pete Dunn, the Stetson longtime head baseball coach, will be his last year. He's retiring at the end of this year. So mm-hmm. we'll get to see Stetson and UCF play. So some big baseball news. Of course, the black and gold series going on this weekend in baseball to kind of wrap up the fall ball for them. But uh, that uh that's very big, Jeff. I'm really happy to see those two programs back playing. On the diamond, they're playing in basketball, they play in softball, uh, but now they're back in the diamond, which really for a long time has been a great baseball rivalry for both schools.
0: You notice Pete Dunn also, it, it was it's kind of been rumored or bandied about that. Uh, remember that Pete Dunn wanted to stop the series because he didn't get along well with Terry Rooney, who well, was back. an yeah, assistant right. coach under right. Pete Dunn at Stetson for a time, right?
1: Correct and it all stems back from that game that you were right. at Jeff that 2012 game where and, and it you know there, it's always
0: been a little chippy but you know Dunn just yeah. did not like he thought Correct. that that UCF under Rooney was a little bit too chippy and so he was you know it, it's kind of a it's a baseball thing you know these things are weird
1: sure but, and and I asked I asked Pete about it uh, a little bit after that, he kind of dodged it. He said, Hey, you know, you know, we got to play in these teams, but you know, people that followed the programs internally kind of said, Yeah, there was some tension there. He, you know, there were some things that he did that Pete Dunn didn't like, I guess, that allegedly Rooney and his players did. And I mean, who knows who's telling. There's always multiple sides to the story, but you're right. There was some tension there and that's why they didn't play. But uh, with Greg Lovelady now on board and Terry Rooney moving on to Alabama, obviously, I think that kind of cleared the way. And Mm -hmm. here they are. Stetson, UCF look for them to be back on that schedule in 2017. Uh, Baseball, I'm sure they'll announce their schedule in the coming day, coming weeks. Uh, And it sounds pretty exciting, pretty normal Florida. He mentioned Florida home and home. Florida State's coming to UCF for two games, I think, during the week, was from what I could gather in that interview. Uh, on that UCF Night Talk show, so uh, that that was big, big, big baseball news. You know, I, I know it's still a little ways away, but for a lot of long-time fans like myself and yours and you, Jeff, uh, that's followed this right, baseball program, to have UCF Stetson, the, it, it's the right thing to do. I mean, how, how many? What is it? A thirty, forty minutes separation there on a drive
0: uh, depends on how much traffic you got on I four, but yeah, about yeah. about forty-five minutes. Yeah, so
1: it's a it's a it's a good win there. win, win. Too good
0: baseball programs, too. One quick note yes. also I wanted to mention on Cody Allen. I did find his stats for the uh, World Series. Cody pitched uh, four games, uh, six innings, gave up three hits, no runs, none, nothing earned, uh, walked two, struck out 12, and picked up one save. So Yeah, I mean, well Cody was... Uh, Cody Allen, he, yeah. was, he was outstanding in the bullpen for Cleveland in this postseason.
1: He was, a, uh, I believe, a recruit of Jay Bergman. He was one of the last recruits of Jay Bergman. Uh, he was part of that group, and Greg Kozart. And uh, I think he left shortly after Terry Rooney arrived, I want to say, uh, a year or two after that. By the way, second year in a row, we've had a UCF represent in the World Series. Last year, you had Drew Butera.
0: That's right, who won That's with the uh, Royal. Kansas City Royals. That's right. My,
1: my good friend, uh Won a World Series with the Royals and uh, was one of the great catchers in UCF baseball program. So always great to see uh, UCF in, the, in big stages, whether it be uh, the World Series. We had this summer in the NPF championship. We've had representation in the Super Bowl. So I, I, it's always a, a positive signs uh, for the programs.
0: Going back through, Cody Allen uh, at UCF uh, was a freshman in 2008, had 21 appearances, including three starts, and was 2-1 with a 4.58. Uh, uh, did not play in 2009 in the sophomore year due to an injury, and uh, then from there he just he kind of dove into the draft. I think he took advantage of correct. Uh, yeah. took advantage of that, and then worked his way through the Indian system and is now their closure. So, uh, bummer for Cody that he couldn't come up with a World Series ring. But uh, uh, as the Cub fans always say, wait till next year. So, <laughs> so uh, all right, let's move forward to uh, volleyball. Yeah. Got a big win on the road at USF, and that means that UCF Volleyball has picked up all six points for their share of the uh, war on I-4. And uh, a big win in the corral for Todd Dagenais. Nice, By the way, Todd, um, back on the sidelines at, uh, for, for that match after the previous weekend, he's been battling kidney stones. And, uh, but came back, what, they won the match with the Bulls, He's been, uh, he's been a trooper, man. He's been fighting it off, and uh, but the knights get the sweep, move to nineteen and seven overall, nine and four in the American. USF, by the way, sixteen and nine, seven and six. Um, but you know, got the win, twenty six twenty four in the third. Uh, Jayla Hervey had nineteen kills. Kia Bread on the other side had sixteen, uh, and then the knights head into uh, another weekend of play with, or, or, or rather. On the road once again, but it's kind of because they're only playing at USF. It's the travel partner weekend, so they just have to fly out to Memphis and then back. They don't have two matches out on the road because they are with the bus over to the corral and back. But uh, uh, job well done by the Knights uh, getting that done and uh, getting the victory over USF to get that uh, six point in, to get six points in the uh, war on I four. And right now, UCF, Eric. Uh, Still in fourth place in the league at nine and four with one more match to go uh, this weekend. But uh, hanging around, hovering around the top of that uh, women's volleyball standings.
1: It is. I mean, this is a critical stretch here. Four straight road matches. You mentioned starting at USF. Then you go to Memphis. Then you go to first place SMU on November the 10th. And then at Tulsa, not an easy place to play on the 12th. I think this road trip is critical for UCF to be successful on a lot of levels from a conference championship chase standpoint and from an RPI standpoint. UCF's 58 in the RPI. So, you know, if you get quality wins on the road, that'll serve well in the RPI and uh, I think they got to go and you know, if you can go 3 and 1 on this road trip and I think the back end of the schedule kind of works to your favor. Then you have Temple at home on the 18th of Friday, which will be televised on the American Digital Network. Mm-hmm. And then you got UConn at home. And then you're at Tulane and at Houston. Those are winnable games, and UCF can finish strong. And sometimes that could be the difference, even if you don't win the conference title. That could, if you're playing your best volleyball at the end and the committee sees that, they might get you in. So, a uh, very important stretch. Good win. Uh, and, and a good win always beats USF. I think people will never have to apologize for that, and for and that's one thing that Todd's done very good, Jeff. Since he's been here, he has had a lot of success against USF, and and sometimes that you know that means a lot to the, the alumni and the boosters. Don't that's my kid.
0: Yeah, and what and uh, you know one other note I wanted to add to that too, the fact that UCF is now fifth, leading USF fifteen to nine in the uh, war on I four standings. And we, I had one other shout out that I wanted to give out in uh, cross country. By the way, um, American Athletic Conference cross country championship in Cincinnati. Uh, UCF uh, finished higher than USF. By the way, as a team, SMU uh, defeated Tulsa for the top finish, but uh, UCF defeats or, or you know finishes better than USF. And then also, and I want to give a quick shout out Anne Marie Blaney won the individual uh, conference championship in cross-country uh, with a time of 20 minutes and 14 seconds, um, taking the victory in cross-country. And I think that's in the 5K, if I'm not mistaken. So congratulations to her. And, uh, and she actually managed to help UCF out because um, it, for the second time, she comes home with the American Athletic Conference uh, championship. So uh, job well done by uh, Anne-Marie and uh, contributing to UCF in the War on I-4 battle with USF, where once again we lead them 15-9 uh, to 9 in the uh, standings. All right. By the way, the next opportunity for uh, some points in the uh, War on I-4 rivalry, the football game, November 26th. Oh. Six points on the line in that one, baby. And a trophy of its own, too, by the way. Still haven't seen the new trophy yet. I hear no, I that it's gonna so, be based on the I four shield. I'm waiting to actually see
1: that. I have a feeling they might that'll you'll see it on the week of that football game. Yeah, they Next got, they're gonna to
0: have to unveil that pretty soon. So
1: all right. One last note on men's soccer. They have
0: one last match of the season. It's senior day. They take on Cincinnati Saturday, November the fifth at noon at the UCF uh, soccer and track complex prior to the football game, of course, which take place takes place later at five. Uh nights. Wrapping up the season, 4-10 and ten overall has not been the best season in the world for uh, Coach Brian Cunningham and his crew, but hopefully they can get a win to close it out. Uh, seniors who wanted to uh, mention uh, who are going to be playing their last game uh, at UCF. Diego Basilar, the uh, midfielder, senior from Brazil, uh, transferred over from Creighton, by the way. Uh, he'll be finishing his uh, UCF Caralcio, Javier Clavijo from Weston down by, uh, down by my neck of the woods in Broward County. Went to Cypress Bay. He'll be finishing up as well uh, for UCF. So uh, hopefully they can send those two guys out uh, on a win. Tough season for Brian Cunningham's squad, but you always want to end on a positive note on uh, Senior Day. So all right, Lopez. Well, we got a weird week coming up because we've had um, we got the Memphis volleyball match coming up. We got the football game, of course. Uh, what are you looking forward to the most right now?
1: Well, you know it's weird this weekend. I'm actually going to try and uh, looking forward to heading out. Uh, Friday, catch a little bit of the end of fall ball for softball, and then a little bit of the black and gold series. They're playing three games. Yeah, uh, they played their first one, I think, as we recorded this Thursday.
0: Yeah, I was and at. Everybody- so I, was at uh, well, I was at. basketball media today. I was, as I was coming out, I heard the PA. I heard old Dean, our buddy yeah. Dean Smith on the PA. There at, you go. Uh, at the uh, at the baseball complex, uh, announcing that uh, first game of the black and gold series for uh, Greg Lovelady's team.
1: Correct. Uh I'm going to try and head out there for that second game on Friday, do a little softball, baseball, kind of checking in on both sides there. So I'm looking forward to that, catching up there. I haven't actually spoken to Coach Lovelady yet, hope to do that. Uh And then, obviously, I'll talk to Coach G and uh, see how she feels how the fall has gone. So I'm looking forward to that. And, obviously, see so monitoring volleyball, but I'm just looking forward to seeing UCF football back here. I mean, we haven't, you know, it's uh, a lot of home games coming Yeah, you got a lot of games coming up, and uh, I know we're looking forward to, Uh, next week obviously we'll get more football but uh, basketball just around the corner you mentioned it you're on media day Uh, basketball men's basketball starts on the 14th on Monday women's basketball starts on Sunday the 13th I'm looking forward to Jeff getting into uh, talk some basketball talk here in the media future as soon as next week
0: yeah I met uh, coach Abe today for the women's team she's really excited about uh, everything that she gets to work with here at UCF so uh, and, then, uh, had a, and also we had a little future uh, podcast information for you. Had a really nice uh, one-on-one during media day with B.J. Taylor coming off of his injury last year that basically sidelined him the whole year. Uh, he's really excited to get back after it for UCF and uh, under new head coach uh, Johnny Dawkins, the former uh, National Player of the Year when he was a player at Duke. And, uh, of course, former Philadelphia 76er in San Antonio Spur and uh, former head coach, at Stanford, now at the helm for UCF. Coach, we talked about uh, Coach Abe on the women's side. Uh, Katie Abramson-Hendrickson uh, is uh, coming over from Albany, where uh, she's been to the NCAA tournament a couple times, and uh, she's really excited to get started uh, here at UCF as well. So some new, uh, some new, the new car smell is back in UCF basketball, so that's exciting. We'll have that for you coming up in uh, forthcoming shows here. On the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. So once again, uh, for Eric Lopez, my name is Jeff Sharon. Real quick, Eric, what are you working on this week?
1: Yeah, I mean, just got uh, Eric Lopez. You mentioned I'll be over at the uh, fall ball a little bit, and uh, for both softball and baseball, and uh, so I'll tweet some stuff from there. Uh, look for some details there, and don't forget to, uh, to on O'Neill thing-
0: too, where we can hear you all. The yeah,
1: time. Larry and Mike uh, do their thing uh, weekdays, three to seven on ten eighty. But the big thing I also for a few of the audience. We got some nice surprises uh, coming up here on the podcast. Some special guests coming in. Yes. Again, I encourage you. uh, We had Chris Henderson, who did a great job there, women's soccer. Uh, We're going to, you know, that's kind of the stuff we're going to do here. We're going to see some special guests, and we're not going to mention any names right now, but uh, you'll be very pleasantly uh, thrilled. We're going to give you some familiar names coming down the line. Yeah, and talk about in depth some things that maybe aren't talked about elsewhere, and really uh, in, in all sports. And I think that's what we're going to—we're really excited about. So you want to keep it here, not only on Eric Lopezillo, not only on Jeff's Twitter account, but on also on the website, uh, Black and Gold Red as well. And uh, also, uh, there'll be a little article I wrote uh, UCF Houston television ratings too, right? That'll be up there. Uh, so
0: we're going to have that up uh, tonight and uh, and ready to go, so you can catch that while you're listening to our uh, podcast right now. So be sure to check that out on com. Beautiful.
1: Always a pleasure, sir. It's always oh. a fun time. You, you know, you, you got to recover from the World Series. You got to get yeah, up man. there, get get some energy, man. <laughs>
0: I know. I, th- I thought it was bad when my son was like, you know, four months old and he was still wasn't sleeping through the night, man. These World Series games. But I'll tell you what. You didn't hear anyone complaining about how long that game was. It was five hours, but you didn't hear anyone complain. That was a hell of a game, so... And, Forty million
1: uh, people uh, tuned in to watch
0: a record, a record. And by the way, I know there's a lot of folks out there on social media who we're friends with in the UCF uh, family who are big time Cubs fans. You mentioned uh, Coach Gillespie, Scott Frost, as well Cubs fans. Um, also, you know, I, I've been trading uh, messages on Twitter for a long time with uh, our friend Chi UCF Gal on Twitter, uh, who's uh, who's. <laughs> last night, she was tweeting out what the Chicago police scanner was talking about. There was all kinds of crazy stuff going on in Chicago last night. I don't blame him. Uh, and then, of course, uh, another UCF uh, alumnus who uh, got me my first break in the uh, television business, Jason Mater, the former sports director at Central Florida News 13, who's now working at Georgia Tech. He's a huge Cubs fan. I uh, asked him, how you doing uh, this morning? He's like, very tired, but I'm happier than you could possibly imagine so I uh, wanted to send a uh, big shout out to all the UCF fans who are Cubs fans out there there's a lot of them out there, more so than you think uh, which happens when you know your team is on basically on national TV for a long time as they were on WGN for uh, forever, so all those Cubs fans out there enjoy it, soak it in, it's a lot of fun So, alright Eric, we'll talk to you soon brother Talk to you later, Jeff. All right. Don't forget you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. And don't forget to look us up on Facebook and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. So for Eric Lopez, my name is Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.